fellow supermom, I'm glad you're here. This is the special needs supermom podcast. The glass of wine for your mind. Your tribe where you can relax, unwind and get stronger and more confident about your superpowers. I'm Nadine Villeur, your host, supermom of an autistic wonderboy and a supergirl battling juvenile arthritis. All while being a military spouse and international entrepreneur. Enjoy your glass of wine. Well, hello, hello, fellow supermoms. Today, I've got Hilary Reese Lexon for you uh, as a guest. And she is a powerhouse on everything dyslexia and, and even more because uh, her daughter has dyslexia. But not only that, and I think it's really interesting to be aware of that if your kid has a reading or grammar or language disability, there can be something else going on besides just dyslexia, as if that's not hard enough. So, uh, Hilary, welcome to the show. Uh, can you tell the guests a bit about yourself? Hey, Nadine. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, like you said, my name is Hilary Laxon. I'm a mom to a child that has severe dyslexia, and I currently live outside Atlanta, Georgia. And I got involved in the dyslexia circle probably initially when my child was diagnosed back in early elementary school, but I didn't really get in the fight of it till we moved to Georgia almost two and a half years ago when we found out my daughter had another diagnosis, which was a language processing disorder as well as the dyslexia that nobody had seen until seventh grade. And so that was what caused me to be digging around and doing a lot of research and got involved because I saw so many people in my small town didn't know anything about learning disabilities or multiple diagnoses. Yeah, so how did you become aware of that there was something else going on besides dyslexia? Right, so a lot of people who have dyslexia end up hiring private tutors. And I originally lived in California and I hired a private tutor for my child when she was seven. And when we moved to Georgia, I was moving to a small town outside Warner Robins, Georgia, which is a major US Air Force base. And so I figured there probably wasn't gonna be anyone in the area that had the training coming from San Diego where there were so many more people exposed to medicine and speech language pathology and other related things. And so uh, she was working with the same tutor remotely on Zoom long before <laughs> COVID happened. And about the end of seventh grade, my tutor said, uh, you know, there's something else going on here. She doesn't seem to comprehend reading. And when she said that to me, I was like, well, she has to comprehend reading. That's what I was thinking. I started to pick it apart because I, at that point, had already had two neuropsychology evaluations one when she was six, one when she was nine. So I knew exactly what the baseline of her IQ was and none of that indicated that she had any kind of intellectual deficit that would explain the reading comprehension issue. Yeah. So I took her to my pediatrician and I said, something else is going on here. My tutor thinks she can't comprehend reading. I want a referral back to a ear, nose and throat doctor and an audiologist. And then I want a referral to a speech language pathologist to try to see 
why she's not comprehending reading. Because at this point, I knew she was severely dyslexic. I knew she had an auditory processing disorder and I knew she had ADHD, but none of those things explained why somebody with a high IQ in seventh grade wasn't retaining material and wasn't comprehending it. And so by the time we were done with the audiologists and the speech language pathologists, we found out that she had a temporal processing disorder, which is basically like a brain stem ear connection problem. And then she had a receptive expressive language disorder. And that wasn't identified until the end of seventh grade. And that's fairly typical because when most kids who go to see a speech language pathologist, most of those kids are stuttering. They're not speaking. They can't swallow food correctly. They don't see a lot of language disorders because they miss them. Because yeah. most of the kids that are dyslexic have high IQ and people don't see the problem because they compensate. Yeah. And so that was when she said she had a moderate receptive expressive language disorder. And I can only imagine the struggle you, you had in schools because, you know, the teachers will see, well, there's dyslexia and, you know, there's ADHD. Well, if you combine that... She can't focus probably, and that's probably why she has a problem remembering things. And well, why should we even bother? Because oh well, you know, did you had a hard hard time, you know, fighting for your daughter? You know, that teachers in the school accepted the problems that were going on, and therefore, you know, accepted an IEP and all the help uh was she offered all the help she needed in schools well that became an even more complicated problem because <laughs> i moved to a district that had 31,000 kids in it so it wasn't a small district it wasn't a rural area but houston county georgia is like in the top five of receiving impact aid from the federal government for active duty kids in the state of georgia so they had plenty of money they had plenty of people that were trained, but the problem was the teachers at the local school weren't necessarily trained with dealing with stuff that was this complicated. And the message I originally got when I moved to that district in seventh grade was, we don't have any other dyslexic kids here, right? And we all know <laughs> that the stat says maybe 20% of the population yeah. is dyslexic or one in five. And they're telling me in my school of 800 children, that I'm the only dyslexic kid, right? Seriously? So I'm already dealing with that. And they kept saying stuff to me, like they say to everybody at IEP meetings, you know, blank child is so nice. She's so kind to her friends, you know, all this stuff that at the end of what they're saying doesn't actually give you any stats or facts yeah. on what the child's levels are. They're nice things to say about kids, yeah. but they're not data. Yeah, And so when I called the IEP meeting, they were kind of lost about what to do. It was pretty obvious they didn't okay. know what to do. And I, I remember because, you know, I, I shared it with, with Hillary before this interview. And uh, didn't you have like an IEP meeting with like 30 people? And a lot of Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
So I should back up and tell people my father was a radiologist. My mom was a ER trauma nurse and my grandfather was a psychiatrist. He founded the psychiatry department at the University of Arkansas. So I was well-versed in medical people. We grew up around all kinds of doctors and nurses and whatever. And then I happened to go to paralegal school after college. So I had a paralegal degree. So I had a basic understanding of what law was. And you can bet your butt I knew how to research what the law was. <laughs> so as soon as they started saying stuff to me, I started picking it apart okay. because I knew what they were saying didn't make sense. And so what they told me six months into moving to Georgia was that they didn't support reading in middle school because they weren't a Title I school. And for people that don't live in the United States, yeah. Title I funds has to do with being homeless or having migrant students or non-English speakers. It has absolutely nothing to do with funding for special ed. But that's what they told me because they in general, that's a big misconception all across America about Title I funds. And then they told me that we don't support reading in middle school because it doesn't, the schedule doesn't allow for it and we don't have anyone here who can help someone who's struggling with reading in middle school. And that's another myth that parents get told all over the world is that we don't do that here, or we don't have anyone that can do that, or that program doesn't exist. It was just a spin on the standard, we don't do that here, yeah. right? And, that, and that's really good to realize, because this, this happens in the Netherlands as well. It happened at the elementary school my kids were in, uh, when we moved back to the Netherlands, that, uh, you know, we, we had a special education person in school, but really it was only there for the, you know, the above the charts IQ kids and helping them with extra curriculum and things like that. But right. she was hired for everything, but they just kept saying, well, yeah, no, no, she's only for this. Yeah, but she should help all the kids and not only the kids with, you know, uh, that need the extra challenge or anything like that. And uh, you see that a lot of parents, if somebody tells you, uh, well, we don't have anything, or anybody, they will stop the fight because they think, oh, well, apparently this is not a thing, or, you know, apparently they don't have to, but, you know, that they don't have someone doesn't mean that they should have someone there for you. So, well, you that's true. Like, I don't know exactly how the federal funding works in the Netherlands for that, but like in America, an IEP is a legal contract and attached yeah. to any legal contract is funding. So the more services you put on a contract, the more funding the state gets from the federal government. Yeah. So the way you get stuff covered that they've never had to cover is by adding it to the IEP. <laughs> so, but, so you were in a meeting and with 30 people for the IEP meeting. And it so because it was so big, it, I think it took place in the library. It did. <laughs> and uh, that, but that was also because they just didn't know what to do, really. And that's why all those. Well, that's why there were so many people there. Because, yeah. like I said, I had been here for about six months. And coincidentally, at the same time that I'm fighting with the school about them not knowing what to do with a dyslexic student. Georgia went ahead and passed a state law on dyslexia. 
which is rolling out over five years with all different kinds of um, mandated teacher training. It created an endorsement certificate for teachers. It created a mandated dyslexia screening law for K through second grade. And so at the same time this is happening, I'm now a student in the county saying, guess what? The law just passed about dyslexia. So you're going to have to start to move yourself towards what the state law is, yeah. right? You're going to have to make some effort to appear that you are growing, changing, and educating your district employees. And so I threw a huge fit. Like I said, I was a paralegal, so I knew how to write a very detailed and persuasive letter about what I wanted and why I wanted it and attached you know, the reports and data for it. So I actually asked for the head of special ed to come to my meeting because in the past who had been at my IEP meeting was the principal who didn't know anything about dyslexia, an LEA person, which is the local education authority person in America, who's the district's authority to provide and control the IEP um, agreement. And that person didn't know a lot about dyslexia. So after I wrote this letter, the next day, the head of special ed was calling me and telling me we were gonna have a meeting in July and that she was coming and all three principals from my school were coming. And because I had all these reports that they didn't have people at the school who could understand, all of a sudden I had a district psychologist, a school psychologist, a district audiologist, a district SLP, a school SLP, and then the caseworker, all the teachers, and I had now hired an advocate for my child. And then my husband was there with me. Yeah. So that's how it turned into so many people. <laughs> and what, what changed for your daughter after that IEP meeting? What changed for you? Well, remember they famously told me that they didn't have anyone who could support reading. Yeah. Well, the district happened to already have someone who was trained in Orton Gillingham, right? She wasn't a master certified person, but she was the most qualified person they had in the entire district, right? And she worked at the district office. So she was also at the IEP meeting. And so when we walked out of the IEP meeting, I got two hours one-on-one -on -one of Orton Gillingham with this person from the district. And they had to drive to the middle school because at that point there was no one else in the county who had any training to do it, who had the knowledge to do it. So we walked out of there with that. And then we basically walked out of there with SLP services for language, which yeah. nobody had had to do in middle school. That was unusual for them. And we walked out of there with um, her being one of the first kids in the county to have assistive technology for dyslexia and putting everything on the i on the on the chromebook or the, or the ipad yeah. they'd never had to do that before they had done some basic stuff like a lot of us has to do when we get started with atr self you know taking the picture of it with snap type and writing answers but that's never that's just a band-aid that's not a way to have to work your entire school career so no. they had to put everything electronic and they hadn't had to do that before so all the extra also, uh, you know, so everything was now on our computer that already mm. helped a lot. Uh, the extra services she needed and she was entitled to, uh, mm. do they happen during school hours or after school hours in America? Well, so because America has 50 states, 
some states have laws about if you're allowed to take PE away or not, if you're allowed to take recess away or not. I happen to know that my child was ADHD and therefore needed the recess and the lunch period to be able to talk to people because she was working hard during the day and never got a break. And, you know, from seven to two 30 at school all day with not ever being allowed any quote free time wasn't fair. And they did try to give her services during break and uh, lunch. And knowing me, I had a whole (laughs) stack of articles from psychologists stating why you didn't want to take away recess or lunch from someone who was ADHD. And so they ended up doing it during their like study period part of the time. And then I agreed to give up a couple of days a week of art. So we did part of art, but not all of art because that was the best solution because my child was still getting private tutoring three days a week at home. So even when she left school three days a week, she was still doing another hour of one-on-one intervention. Yeah. And that, that's, that's actually, yeah. How would I say, you know, so you get all these, you're entitled to all these extra services, but you still need sometimes that all the extra help from a private tutor. Uh, Right. Was she ever, you know, I'm now thinking of my 15 year old, she's severe dyslexic as well, but because she's, she has juvenile arthritis as well, she is done with all the extra help. She doesn't want to stand out even more. Uh, so uh, she went to a high school and they said that this is a green high school, a more hands on kind of high school. And uh, they specialize in animal and greenery and things like that. Uh, so that's great for kids that, you know, work with their hands and, you know, translate everything, you know, through their hands. It helps them comprehend stuff and everything. Uh, and they said at that school, you know, we know for certain that about a third of our kids are dyslectic. It's part of the reason they choose this school as well, because, you know, they, they don't have to, they're not forced to only read books the entire day. Uh, but still, even if my uh, my daughter knew that and she was entitled to all this extra help, she was resisting like crazy. But now she's uh, a year before her senior year. If she's going to make it, <laughs> because that's not entirely sure. And if in the Netherlands, if you fill a year, uh, if you fill a certain class and you're below two points or something, you have to redo an entire year. And part of whoa, yes, even and, with a learning disability, yes, 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 and also, uh, but that's that's for for all kids. And uh, well, in her case, it might, yeah, it's it's still debatable. Uh, but you know, with COVID and a lot of online dis- learning, that was not her thing. Uh, she had a really bad health year as well, so. A lot of sleeping, a lot of missing class, a lot of hospitals. So she did miss a lot. Uh, and you can see that in the grades. Uh, but what I want to say, you know, so she's offered all kinds of extra help. And now she's realizing because she's almost failing this year uh, that, okay, I might, I should maybe accept it. But for about three years, she was like, no, I'm fine. I don't need it. No, 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 because that will make me even look weirder in class. Uh, 
does your daughter ever put up a fight about, oh, not again. I'm so done. I know it, mom. Or is she? I think she does and she doesn't. When we first moved to Georgia, we had to start using the remote tutor on yeah. Zoom, right? And she did not want to do that because she'd had the same tutor who was a personal friend of ours for five years in person, right? And so yeah. it was still the same lady. She was just now 2D instead of 3D and we were in middle school. And she kind of put up a fight and I was like, you know, this is just the way it is. There's nobody yeah. else here who can do this one-on-one. -on -one. You need the help, you're not remediated. You're gonna have to figure it out. And I walked off. So the first couple of times were bad, but I made it pretty clear <laughs> that like, this was something I was just not negotiating on. Okay, we yeah. had a conversation about, you know, at some point in life, you have to decide how hard you wanna work yeah. to get where you wanna go. And if you don't get remediated in reading because of your dyslexia, it's going to significantly limit what you're able to achieve. Yeah. So it's up to you, right? I don't think she ever felt like the other kids thought it was weird. I mean, coming from yeah. California, everyone had a Chromebook, right? So that wasn't anything special. Everything was done remotely. But then here, I, she did hide the iPad inside of a spiral notebook a lot because she uh -huh. didn't want people to see it. But I don't really think people cared. That, I mean, why wouldn't you want to have an iPad instead of paper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, but it can be weird, you know. For her, it was like I already have a wheelchair that makes me stand out. I don't need, uh -huh. you know, a computer with a hearing device that also. And right. you know, at the certain because we she had so many health problems, we were already like. You know, okay. To, to, for, for now, we're going to focus on this and not put on the fight for for that part because getting right. her to use the wheelchair was already uh, quite a <laughs> deal. So, you know, since that IEP meeting, yeah, going back to that IEP meeting with all those people in the library school, what? How, how many years ago was this? That was almost two years ago now, the summer. And can you see? what's changed in school for her besides your daughter you know in, in in the way of the services they provide or or is it still every parent uh battling for their own rights and them saying well this is not available this is not available but it is available can you, can you see that there is maybe slowly but there is a, a change going on because now the the, the georgia law is there uh, for dyslectic kids and things like that. Can you see a change happening or? In that county specifically, there was a huge change because part of the noise that I made and some other people made, made that county send 65 teachers to an Orton-Gillingham training. And so now in that county, every special ed ELA teacher has taken this OG class and it's, yeah. it's 40 hours. So it's a basic understanding of OG. It's by no yeah. means for somebody that's severely dyslexic and autistic and has a lot of complicated stuff going on, but it was a step in the right direction. And so in that county specifically, most of the people, well, I started a group called um, the Middle Georgia IEP parent support group with another mom who happened to have a child with autism and dyslexia and then another child with dyslexia. 
And we just started talking to people. And so the people that we were able to talk to and get them to do stuff that we said, like asking for help in writing, hiring an advocate, those people were getting improved services. Yeah. But still, even two years later, the people that show up without advocates do not get the same services. And of course, that's not fair, but that's just the reality yeah. of the way it is. But a lot of what I got done was because I knew what the law was. I understood medicine and I was pretty clear about why I wanted what I wanted. And I yeah. had other outside data to prove what I was saying. It wasn't yeah. just I was saying she can't comprehend reading. Yeah. I went and got multiple reports and they had to go do their own, what we call here an IEE, which is a indi um, independent educational evaluation. So they went ahead and did their own reports and you know their audiologists came back with the same stuff that mine did. Their SLP didn't necessarily think she needed intervention, but because I had so much other data and an advocate at the yeah. table, they ended up giving us some form of intervention. Yeah. But it was because I was prepared and because I was pretty obvious that I was going to keep getting up to fight. So, <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a good lesson. No matter the disability or uh, illness you have, you're entitled to good education. And it can really depend on the state and the school district. And especially in the military, if you <laughs> move every, what is it? One, uh, move every Two year. Years, Sometimes, yeah. you know, uh, if you're lucky, you're staying on the same ways for three years it is really important that you're you know you check your data and know what is needed for your IEP in the next state and like you already said an advocate is so important because they're if you're not trained yourself and you were already a paralegal so if I had the knowledge five years ago from my daughter <laughs> it would have been a total different situation so how is your daughter doing now in school? So she just finished ninth grade. And part of why we moved to Atlanta was we were in that small rural area. And she's actually at a school for kids that have ADHD, dyslexia, or a language-based learning disability. And this is the only school that's specifically for language-based learning disabilities mm -hmm. at the high school level in the state. Oh, okay. So when you get to the high school level and you start looking you know there's a lot of like schools that accept children that have learning disabilities you know that do well with yeah. the adhd accommodations and stuff like that but when you get into the more complicated cases at the high school level it's very hard to find like there's yeah. one here there were several in phoenix arizona there were several around San Francisco and one like in Colorado. That was where yeah. I kind of started looking. So we moved up here to go to a, a private school. So there's only, I think, 30 kids in her grade. And during COVID, we had a weird schedule where we spent a lot of time in pods instead of switching six or seven times a day. <laughs> so she did really well this year. And luckily, you know, this is Georgia. So we all went in in-person school and they got yeah. a waiver because of the kind of students that okay. were at the school. Because yeah. a lot of the schools in Atlanta did, you know, the whole rotating virtual, not virtual thing, the yeah. dance all year. And we were in person the whole year. So yeah. she had a pretty normal year other than wearing mm -hmm. the mask and, you know, some other yeah. stricter stuff. But 
she's mostly remediated now from the dyslexia. She reads on grade level. Her writing is pretty typical of somebody with a language-based learning disability in she's about a sixth or seventh grade level mm. as a ninth grader and that's fairly typical with kids with learning based disabilities or language based yeah, disabilities. Yeah, I see definitely my daughter as well, yeah. Part of the fight with the IEP was that when we started picking apart like what the problem was, it became obvious the huge discrepancy between her writing skills and her oral skills. So if you ask the same question twice, your oral skills, you got an elaborate answer and the written skills, you got a three or four word sentence. And nobody thought that that was alarming until I pointed it out. And part of what we did over the year of seventh and eighth grade was collecting data about the discrepancy. Yeah. You know, you asked her this, this is the answer you got. Then you told her to write it, look at the answer you got. Yeah. And so, there was a lot of education um, about that to the teachers because they had never had to deal with somebody like that or they didn't know that they had had a child no, like that. I, I, do think, I, th I do think that a lot of teachers don't know half of the things that are out there, you know, and struggling. No, and how could them. you? Yeah. So. Well, and so I think one of the lessons I've learned is that it doesn't matter how great your IEP is. It doesn't matter how many services you put on it. You could have the best IEP in the whole world, but the people at public school in general are not going to be on the same level as someone you hire privately. Yeah. And so when I found out in the end of seventh grade that she wrote on about a first grade level, I was kind of alarmed because I yeah. knew what her IQ was and I knew you know, the genetics of most of the people in my family and our yeah. intelligence levels. And so I hired a private tutor and from the end of seventh grade through the end of eighth grade, she was doing four hours a week of writing specifically with a private tutor on top of the three hours with the private reading tutor and the two hours from school. So if you're keeping track, um, about at 10 hours a week of one-on-one -on -one intervention wow. and a lot of people are like whoa that's insane like how could she do that and it took a year of sacrifice and it cost yeah. a lot of money but I got her up to a sixth grade level yeah. within you know about nine months working yeah. with this person and sometimes that's what it takes so your daughter also went to a kind of a special high school you know and did it help her? So prior to going to Howard School, we did know a couple of kids in California that were dyslexic. It was never like the whole class was dyslexic. Yeah. Definitely down in Perry, we didn't know anyone who was dyslexic. There were a lot of kids that they said they had reading issues and they were getting everything read aloud to them, but they didn't have a 504 or an IEP, which was a whole other strangeness okay. in itself. Yeah. But until we got to the Howard School, we weren't in a classroom with dyslexics. And it's pretty funny because the first time we had what I'm going to call a play date, because I don't really know yeah. what you call them when you get to high school. <laughs> I, I had four <laughs> dyslexic kids in my car and they correct each other. It's pretty funny because they correct each other. Like, you know, sometimes with dyslexia, you retrieve the wrong word, right? Yeah. But 
the, the other three of them knew what the first one was trying to say. So it's interesting that they each have their own strengths and weaknesses and they're correcting each other. And now a lot of times I get stuff thrown in my face like, well, I'm just dyslexic. I think differently. Yeah. So I think it's changed my child a lot and made her a stronger individual. Yeah. I will say that we are, we do have a, a history of anxiety in my family, but I don't have anxiety and I don't believe that my child does. But a, a lot of kids that we, you know, in dyslexia, dyslexics in general have a really high rate of anxiety, whether it's yeah. the anxiety was caused by not being able to read or it's genetics no one really knows, but she does have a lot of friends that have more anxiety than she does. I will say, you know, that still in high school are nervous about a lot yeah. of that stuff, but she didn't have that. And I think what you and I have in common is um, I was married to someone who served in the Coast Guard for 12 years. So I've been connected to the military for 20 plus years. And I spent my summers in Coronado, which is a huge military town. And the blessing of being connected to the military and the active duty community is you learn really fast how to adapt and change your friends come and go, but yeah. they come back, you know, they go and they come back. And I think that created a lot of resilience in my child that your typical child who gets to go to the same school forever and doesn't have any change doesn't learn to deal with. Hello, fellow Supermom. Nadine here. I hope you enjoyed this first part of the Dyslexia podcast with Hilary Lexen. We talked for over an hour, so I decided to uh, cut the podcast uh, into two more bite-sized parts of about each half an hour, because if you're like me, you probably don't have an hour to spend. And the first podcast is really, the first part of this series is really more about dyslexia in general and if there perhaps is an extra uh, thing going on with your kid like a comprehensive reading disorder and you know the struggles and how you make sure you get your kid gets what he or she deserves the second part of the podcast is really about you know if you're active duty or you know still joined with the military and you have a kid that is dealing with dyslexia what kind of services are available and uh, what you're entitled to, what you can do. And we talk about that more in specific in the second part. And that will be podcast number 43. This is podcast 42. And the second podcast will uh, be uploaded next week. So just to let you know, if you're enjoying this podcast, especially with Supermom, please, please, please subscribe and please review this podcast because it will really help the ranking of my podcast and therefore uh, it will be easier to find for fellow special needs supermoms like you so rate and review let fellow supermoms know about it if you really like it and please you know send a review and let me know what you think and uh, i hope you enjoy this podcast bye this was today's episode of the Special Needs Supermom Podcast. Enjoyed your mental glass of wine? If so, please subscribe, rate and review the show and recommend the podcast to other Special Needs Supermoms you know could use that mental glass of wine as well. Until next time, fellow Supermoms.
Cheers, Nadine.